Welcome to the doghouse. Uh, the mayor of Colombo is the most recent politician to acknowledge that we might be facing a severe food shortage, she said in September. This follows, of course, the Prime Minister's early announcement that Sri Lanka will be facing major food crisis come August. How did we get to this pass? Now, over the past couple of weeks on Watchdog, on the doghouse, and through our agriculture series, we've laid the groundwork to explain essentially what in Sri Lanka we could call rice politics. So this organic policy, the most recent nail in the coffin, if you want to call it that, was driven by so-called experts who were within advising commas, the president. Right? <laughs> within inverted commas. Yeah. So on the doghouse this week, we thought we'd feature a senior professor at the Department of Crop Science at the University of Peradeniya, Professor Buddhi Marambe, who's been a vocal critic, not of the policy itself, but in how it's being implemented. Is that a fair assessment, Professor Marambe? Yeah, I mean, you put forward the question in a very nice way, right? Because yeah. it, it allows me to think as well, I must tell you to respond. Yeah. Right. Um, from the time this decision was taken, we usually say that in normal words, I mean, the ill effects are written in all over in all corners and based on the scientific facts that's why we went against I'm using that term went against this decision as well because there are enough evidences from other countries that and also looking at our scenario the whole country it can go organic true mm. but for what purpose is the problem are we looking at our food security are we looking at the availability of food accessibility affordability more importantly are we looking at all those things because food security mm. is not just availability that's 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 something that we have to consider and it's look at the stability nutrition level see it has to be available at a given time based on the people's liking mm. all those preference issues come into picture so that exactly why we understood since we knew how Sri Lankan agriculture has evolved over the years if you take rice production for example in 1940s 50s we our average yield was about 650 kilograms per hectare. Thanks to the scientists, more importantly the farming community who embraced the new technologies, finally we ended up in somewhere in 2021. When you say new technologies, Professor, yeah, you're referring to the high yield variety high seeds? Yield variety. Yeah, they're all yeah. technologies. They're yeah. all being done by people. Yeah. Innovated by people, isn't it? I mean, by 1952, when our scientists understood that producing 650 kilograms per hectare is not going to suffice at all when you look at the population increase that Sri Lanka yeah. was facing even at that time, even at that 1950. So, this yield, this mere 650 kilograms per hectare, was improved up to about two. 2 tons per hectare, 2,000 kilograms per hectare by introducing a new, we, use, we usually call it now old improved varieties because there are new improved ones going further. That was the famous H4 variety. Yeah. H4 variety gives about 2,000 kilograms per hectare and scientists, then we, we were there, we, we knew how to get it done. Mind you, the, the International Rice Research Institute was established in Manila, Philippines in 1962. Yeah. But even before that, the rice green revolution started from Sri Lanka. 
It started mm. actually line of thinking was there from 1952, 53, and then final product was there in 1958. This yeah. was the starting point, and then it worked out well by bringing up BG varieties from Patalagota, uh, LD varieties from Labudua. AT varieties from Ambalantota, BW varieties from Bombola, and here we are after about 80 years, starting from early 1940s. Now we produce, we are in a position when we have been doing that. Our average production is about 4,800 kilograms per hectare now. It's not a joke, right? From yeah. a mere 650 up to this particular point, and that's why we are being showing the government from square one, saying that look. Since 2008, though since 1948, since gaining independence, all successive governments have been striving hard to achieve this self-sufficiency, at least in rice. Mm. And we were able to do it by producing more rice than we can consume, starting from 2008 in a stable manner. Mm. There were occasions, but the stability is a problem. It has to be a continuum, isn't it? But professor, when we look at the uh, the rice importation data, so we actually look from 1960 to the present day. Uh, our listeners must excuse the background noise we're recording in Professor Marambe's office at the University of Peradeniya. And I must mention, I I think one of the things in the high, next higher education budget, uh, maybe we should petition for. The <laughs> academics and experts to be given better facilities. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite satisfied <laughs> with this. I must <laughs> tell you. <laughs> I think I think you're doing some incredible work with the little resources that you have. So kudos to you. But again, to our listeners, ex- ex- excuse the background noise. Uh, Professor Marambe, what I was asking was, we looked at the rice importation data mm. from 1960 to the present, yeah. and despite this, people saying, "Oh, we're becoming self-sufficient." We're going to be swayang poshita. Almost every year, we have imported yeah, milled rice yeah, in hundreds of tons. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, what, the, why is the, the, the volumes that we imported varies? Even yeah. right now, forget about even if we have produced more rice than what we can consume, yeah. still we were importing. That is because we had to support the tourism industry, hotels. I mean, when people want to consume basmati rice, where we cannot cultivate here, or jasmine rice from Thailand, where we cannot cultivate here, we have to import that. That requirement also has to be met. And in certain years, we have imported <coughs> rice as as buffer stocks in case that we have a problem and so on, right? Yeah. But if you look at even your statistics, I'm sure you will find an an, an exceptional scenario in 2016, 2017. In 2017, we had to import about 740,000 metric tons of rice. This was when they introduced. The cash transfer. Not only that, it was coupled with another situation which we could not control. That's the climate change part. In 2016, 2017, we lost cultivation continuously for three seasons because there was a continuous drought and one of the worst hmm. that we have ever experienced. I, I do not know whether there were any records before 1948, but since 1948, once again, just yes. take it as a baseline, yeah, right? Post-independence. Yeah, post-independence era. That's the worst drought that we have ever faced. And it affected our not only our paddy cultivation, overall crop production heavily. Even if you look at the fertilizer, that was the lowest tier that fertilizer in terms of quantity of fertilizer that we have used because, of course, cultivation also did not take place. Whatever the things that we cultivate extend, it failed because of lack of rainfall. Now, but even with this real difficult scenario, by 2018, 2019, we were able to recover mm. because we had the technology. 
and if you look at the rice imports actually in real terms by 2020 we were we were in 2019 2020 we are being importing about 20000 metric tons of rice mm. in 20 so in 2019 if you take 2020 i think it was it was about 14000 mm. but here comes 2021 all of a sudden we are importing 147000 2022 until about midday April, we have already imported about 350,000 metric tons. Now the decisions that were taken by the government also helped this because last year, while knowing, though it took some time for us to understand the ground situation, government get the information straight away much faster than us politicians. Mm. They actually liberalize the rice imports. You don't need to have a license to import rice now, right now. If Anymore. you and me wanted yeah. to import rice, go and do it. That's all. And because of that, more rice was coming in, started but coming in. But now the problem is there's no dollars to even import That's the rice. That's the problem, because even at the time, the decision was taken in on April 27th. Of course, President announced it on April 22nd, 2021, when he addressed the institutional heads. He actually spelled it out, saying that no matter what it comes, what is going to be, I'm going to uh, uh, ban the importation of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. That's what he said. What was the motivation behind Because I tried to understand it. And, you know, on last week's episode of the podcast, we put it down to uh, don't attribute to malice what is adequately explained by stupidity. But at the same time, you <laughs> wonder whether there was... I mean, if you want to put a tinfoil hat on yeah. and become a conspiracy theorist, you can say that maybe the intention was to bankrupt farmers <laughs> and let yeah. big multinationals take over all the I'm, uh, I'm not the amalgamation of yeah, the farmland. I'm going to, not going to put my explanation yeah. to that extent, at that extreme. But frankly, we were surprised. Mm. Because if you look at the, at the, the document that appeared on the Presidential Secretariat website, which clearly states why it's been done, and the first sentence starts, using fertilizer will increase yield. Hmm. But, however, there are certain environmental issues, human health concerns like the non-communicable diseases we are talking CKDU. about, CKDU, all CKDU those disease. things were written over there and saying that to safeguard the interests of the community, it's nicely done, the document I must tell you, hmm. safeguard the interests of the community, this decision has been taken by the His Excellency. But then the problem is, I mean, I'm not a medical officer, I'm here to understand that aspect. So I'm not going to comment on the CKDU and about his causal factors. Mm -hmm. I'm not competent enough to do so. But I can read and understand the whatever the uh, scientific the publication that, that I've been done. And there's no way you can set a cause-result relationship. If you try to think of it, it's like this. Again, in the post-independent era, Every year, if you try to plot the number of cars imported to Sri Lanka, duty-free cars for example, and if you plot it against the paddy yield, it's a beautiful relationship. What are you going to tell about it? You're going to draw a I mean, there's an association always, but that does not explain the cost result. So it doesn't necessarily imply no causality. No way, no way. And of course, I must tell you one thing, this is very important. Uh, on June 14th, I still remember the day, June 14th, when the uh, chairman of the NRC, who is a medical professional himself, Professor Hemantha Durampala, came on government TV. I think it's okay to mention the name of the program, yeah, right? Of course. It's the Doramandalava program. Yeah. Doramandalava program on 14 June 2021. And there was a question to this effect. Accidentally, I was watching that program. There was a question to this effect from Professor Durampala. He categorically said in Singhala, I will 
I mean, do my best to yeah. translate one to one and then to give at least yeah. to give an essence. What he said was, there's no way, there's no uh, cause-resource relationship with those heavy metals and so on that people were worried about in the in the in the Arunathapuram Polonnaruvadi state as as a causal factor for this chronic kidney disease. But he went further. He said there are two causal factors for this, as far as they have understood now through long-term research. It was very clear. He was bringing up scientific evidence. I'm sure he is not the person who did that, but it's through funding from the National Research Council, hmm. Academia and other sciences have done it. I, I know the group of people as well. Some are from our university, from Department of Geology, Faculty of Medicine, and of course the teaching hospital. It's a multidisciplinary It's a multidisciplinary, approach. interdisciplinary, you can call it. That was yeah. a bigger group. It's a nice teamwork. Yeah. Sometimes you start finding it difficult to see how this kind of diverse group of people get together, click together, I and do something. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's what we are expecting everywhere to happen, yeah. right? So, what, what he said was the two causal factors one is groundwater because it's hard water. Yeah, more, more calcium magnesium contents coming up, and more importantly, about the fluoride content in the Rajarata area. Mm. You know, you have heard about dental mottling. Yes. That's because of fluoride. And this same theory, with, with it's a kind of theory, scientific theory, I, I, I cannot recall it actually at that time in 1990s, Professor O.E. Ilipirima from Faculty of Science, he actually told this, don't need to worry, don't forget about any other thing, it's fluoride, it's a causal factor. And the interesting part is that the two maps, CKDU and fluoride maps, they overlap beautifully. But can you draw a causality no, between but now, them? At that time, we could not. That's my yeah. point. At, at time that time, we could not. But now, I mean, if you look at, listen to that program, Professor Hemant Dhanpala even went to the level saying that he has submitted this document report to the Ministry of Health for further action. Almost one year gone right now. I don't, I don't know. We have not seen that yet. But this is the type of work that has been done. And this exactly the opposite was explained on 22nd April yeah. in the in the presidential secretariat website as a reason for why this decision was taken to go organic. So it was policy that's not based on science. No, but on the other hand, all. you have one of the proponents of this, uh, Professor Jayasuman actually, mm. uh, has done a number of his papers yeah. that he's published in yeah. which he uh, attempts to draw yeah. a relationship between yeah. these. So that's, I just wanted to yeah. mention that. Yeah. So, just to tell you one thing, I mean, it's true, true, true. I mean, yeah. we, have to, we have to respect yeah. those ideas. I, I'm not kicking out, or yeah. I'm not, uh, I mean, not to say that I'm not bothered about what other people say. No. I mean, people have their own way of doing it. But then, if you look at, if you try to read those things, they're associations. They're associations. I mean, as, 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 as what I told you, you're drawing I mean, causal, causal relationships. It's, it's something else. Things that yeah, could yeah. be disparate. Exactly. Uh, Professor, another uh, question, we were talking about yields as yeah. well. When you look at the yields over the years, you mentioned 2016-17, there was the massive drop, drop because of the drought. Exactly. Um, maybe some of it, can we attribute some of it to the cash transfer system? That it was it worked, it's there? not only cash transfer. I don't see a problem with cash transfer. Issue okay. was the fertilizer was not being made available. Yeah. There, there was an issue with respect to tender procedure. I mean, you can go in detail over those things, but that delay the importation of fertilizer. And now people have cash. Crop cultivation is on. Yeah. What are they going to do with that cash? I mean, there are many options, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Professor, when you look at the yields itself over the years, are we seeing uh, growth in yields beyond? 
I mean, if you take away the ex- the factors like climate change mm. and lack of fertilizer, with those high yield varieties, did they provide that growth? Yes. Or has it sort of stagnated with the farmland that we have? This stagnation took place in early 1990s, late okay. 1880s, early 1990. That was the time we were talking about. But the proper <coughs> agronomic packages, I mean, people are in getting getting people moved towards adopting the real recommendations made by the Department of Agriculture. If you take the food crops, for example, and take rice as the most important part of this, rice yields have been increasing. Even 2021, there was a massive yield that we got. Thanks to the impact of the Maha season that started in late 2020 and we harvested in early 2021. And then we had a yellow season of 2021, which we planted and harvested in the same year. And in all those cases, there were inputs available. I'm mm. not saying adlib, but in adequate, adlib sometimes go more, more than adequate, right? Yeah. So I'm talking about just available in adequate quantities for farmers to purchase. And of course, they were given free of charge. I don't agree on that, yeah. right? I have my reservations, but in a crisis management situation, giving subsidy will be one option to overcome, at least mm. get the poorest of the poor one or two steps above on their, feet, on their feet, right? So that's, that's something else. So this is what happened. Rice yields have been increasing. That's why I could not understand actually why. Why didn't they look at this simple data that has been made available? Were you surprised, Professor? Because you you work with the Department of Agriculture. I work at well. all, even now. Even now. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you surprised when? Because in the election manifesto, the president said this will be done over a period of ten years. It doesn't say whole country will be turned into organic. Yeah. It's a promoting organic, organic farming. farming. That's something else. And over 10 years. Over 10 years. That's promotion. Yeah. It's, it does but not say anywhere. It did not say anywhere. Ban. Yeah. It's a blanket ban. I mean, that, that surprised me. I mean, it hit me in the ceiling, actually. Initially, I thought it's a joke. I mean, telling you frankly, I yeah. thought it's a joke. It will never get materialized. And that's the way the academics have been doing. That's the worst mistake that we have ever committed. When people come and spread myths on TV and public media, we were just laughing at them. I mean, we are saying, I mean, I mean, those things, let those people say, hey, bullshit, it will never work on the ground. But see what happened. Finally, those myths became order of the day. Whose fault? Our fault. Not the fault of people who spread those myths, they should, they must have had some belief on it. Hmm. But we should have come forward and explained to them as well as to the society the real scientifically valid story. And the dangers of And the dangers doing. of going through that. We were doing it in seminars and so on. I mean, in, 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 close, in, in close entities, closed entities. Yeah. But not to the general public that we started, like what we started doing last day. Yeah. But yeah. Professor, when the highest office in the country is pushing this policy, your ability as academics to contradict is yeah, also limited. There is a limitation, but academics have something called academic freedom that freedom. has been and ensured by the Lima Declaration in 1988. And also I know there's a case won by uh, Professor Deepika Udagama, I think yes. it's in 1999 if I got it correctly, using this and the court recognized, respected the academic freedom of people, basically talking about freedom of expression. But of course you, you have to be accountable. Every word that I'm telling in front of you, I'm accountable, right? Yeah. Well, otherwise, otherwise, there's no meaning, right? The responsibility yeah. is there. That's why we always live with the scientific facts. I mean, people talk about history. Let's be proud of the history, but live in the present, plan for the future. Live in the present, plan for the future. Yeah. That's a good mantra to have. <laughs> Professor Barnaby, one of the other things that uh, sort of people who are saying that we need to wean ourselves off 
uh, fertilizer. One of the reasons they say is that this continued addition of fertilizer over many years, the current style of agriculture has caused an erosion in soil quality. How, um, what, what, what exactly is the quality yeah. of the soil right now in our farm? Let me explain it in this way, right? I will come to the soil quality also. Though I am not a soil scientist, I am an agronomist. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's how we come to know about the plant and soil together, right? But let me put it this way. Remember what I told you at the beginning? Harvesting 650 kilograms per hectare, moving it up to harvesting 4,800 kilograms per hectare. How can a plant do this? Is it just because of the genetic makeup? How can a cow give a milk yield, higher milk yield? The cow needs food, feed and water. Hmm. Plant needs food, that's a nutrition and water. You and me, we wouldn't have been here if our parents did not feed us with nutritious food at the correct growth stage. As an infant, we are different formula, right? Hmm. I mean, Cholesterol comes from mother's milk. I mean, we were, we were given mother's milk, right? Isn't mm. it? And then, with the, with the age, ages passes by until we start earning from our, on our own, yeah. we were fed with high quality food to the best possible extent yeah. that a parent can do. Right? That's why both of us are here doing this interview. Yeah. And similar thing happened with respect to a plant. Remember, plant is a living being. It respires, like what we do. Mm. Only different that they do is they produce photosynthesize. Mm. Yeah. which we cannot do. We that's are. why we are relying totally on, on plants, crops, and that's why we are worried about the yield that we take. When you say there's a yield, now a lot of people show, I mean, tells us stories, come and tell us, and then you see, take Singaraja forest, no fertilizer. But you think those, and they are arguing sometimes, like nothing, saying that Singaraja, those huge trees have been grown up to that level without adding a single uh, granule of fertilizer. True, it's a, it's a closed system. Hmm. I mean, it's three cycles, but in agriculture, commercial, home garden, or whether you do whatever you do agriculture, you remove and harvest, isn't it? Hmm. You remove and harvest and take it away. You don't remove the harvest and put plow it back to the soil. Hmm. If that is being done, then I totally agree with all those arguments. But you remove the soil. Sorry, you remove a harvest. Yeah. When you remove a harvest, you remove massive quantities of nutrient. Where does this nutrient come in? From the soil. Good ex one example, classic example. Remember, I told you it's 4,800 metric tons per hectare. That's a, that's a yield before this vision was taken. Mm -hmm. Let's make it 5,000 for easiness in calculation. Just right? around. Yeah, round figure. If you remove 5,000 kilograms per hectare of paddy yield, you are removing 105 kilograms of nitrogen. We cultivate two seasons per year. So you are removing 210 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. Suppose you start doing it continuously. Where's the nitrogen coming from? How are you going to replenish the nitrogen? Exactly. So soil becomes infertile. Then you continue to do agriculture and remove the harvest from that land. That is why in the earlier days when you did not have such population pressure, people have been doing shifting cultivation, isn't it? Yeah. They are cultivating a land, moving away. Yeah. Oh, so nomadic Yeah, nomadic yeah. Place, like that. So it allows the soil to rest and to develop itself without disturbing it. So right now people are actually thinking about this question of what are the farms of the future going to look at because I think uh, in our first piece on agriculture also we used a, a video game, real time mm -hmm. strategy video game to explain this. Your land is limited, yeah. you have this much forest land, exactly. you have this much farm land. How are you going to keep feeding a growing population? Yeah. So 
should we be at this point in, in at this point in time in sri lanka should we be looking at what our farms are going to look like in the future of what course, we have to visualize we have to plan and we have to see the evolution as well history is to learn lessons isn't it yeah something that has done for the betterment of agriculture if it can be upgraded further remember we are talking about strengthening or building upon our strengths isn't it hmm. i mean rather than spending much time on on minimizing the impact of weaknesses when you start building on our strengths naturally the rest is looked after to at least to a certain extent but allow me to explain little bit on the previous question that yeah. you asked right now this nutrients goes out now new soil has to be replenished if you want to keep it fertile and the way the technology that has come forward old days or nowadays is to find a source to provide this nutrient so the source that provide plant nutrients is something called fertilizer that's how the name came in. when it when people spoke of organic fertilizer when that source is made out of plant or animal or combination of plant and animal parts debris whatever then comes the next part called synthetic fertilizer the issue with respect to plant or animal based fertilizer is that the percentage nutrient content is low naturally because mm. they are also coming out of after something has been removed from the land as harvest right so they this is available that's good there is a certain certain amount of nutrient but then when you remove nutrients at this rapid rate as an harvest that has to be replenished if you are worried about same or much higher harvest in the next cultivating season hmm. so people found that is extremely important that you have to come up with a technique or come up with a tool that can provide nutrients at a higher level at the time the plant requires i mean we have three meals a day Hmm. and in between also podi badagin nikil yeah snacks also yeah. right so likewise plant also has its own growth stages that require nutrient so hmm. we have to target those growth stages provide the nutrient you know in a paddy cultivation at the time of uh, land preparation you don't add nitrogen hmm. because the seed has enough nitrogen itself For, to allow the plant to grow up to shoot about 2 weeks shoot yeah. to come up up to about 2 weeks but by the time the 12th and 14th day comes in you can see it any area the leaves starts getting into yellowish color that's the indication the plant is starving so you have to give your first nitrogen dose likewise there are about three doses of nitrogen being given to make sure the total quantity is 105 kg per hectare because that is the amount that will be removed from a high yielding variety at a season so remember there's a science behind that yeah that's my point yeah, yeah. professor marambe a lot of one of the other reasons that people cited when they were pushing this organic policy is that there's fertilizer is being overused in sri lanka is this a factual claim it's not a factual claim but of course there is some truth in it depending on how we use it hmm. misuse overuse all are troublesome isn't it even a simple drug like paracetamol hmm. if you overdose yourself I mean, it's written all over what's going to happen to you right so let's forget about it for the moment same thing happens with with fertilizers as well remember one thing the fertilizer industry in sri lanka is highly regulated by the government well things that are getting smuggled that, that's a different issue right because at the beginning of the year for food crops department of agriculture 
for commodity crops like tea, rubber, coconut, there are research institutes. All those people get together, at least in on their own own locations. The perennial crops like tea, people know the extent that has been cultivated. Easy to calculate. When you know the crop requirement, you can calculate it easily. But for paddy and other field crops, Department of Agriculture, we have to do certain level of predictions. And they do their predictions and then come up with a value indicating that what amount of fertilizer that the country will require for this whole year. And also they divide it into Yala and Maha. Hmm. And that quantity is being given to National Fertilizer Secretariat under the Ministry of Agriculture. So all the government entities send that information to them. So point is that the quantity of fertilizer imported to Sri Lanka, depending on the cultivated extent, depending on the nutrient requirement of the crop is constant. For a given year. For a given year. For a given year. Because the cultivated extent can change. Yeah. So year by year there are differences because of that. And it also identifies the different types of fertilizer that is required. How much of urea to be brought in, how much of TSP to be brought in, muriate of potash, sulfate of ammonia, you name it, they have it over there. Mm. Right? So the issue now, why is that people are claiming there is overuse? It's all because, thanks to the government policy actually. Now, th this is the way that we have to look at. You see, in from 2004, there was this Ketata Fertilizer Subsidy Program. Nobody asked for it, but people were given fertilizer at 350 rupees for 550 kilogram. Hmm. Farmers did not ask for it at that level, at that lower price. Anyway, it continued. Starting from 2020, it was given free of charge now. Hmm free of charge to the at least to the paddy farmers. When you get something free of charge, you lose the value naturally. Just, just think, I mean, be a human being and think we are all human beings, right? Yeah. What's really happening at the ground level, as I told you, depending on the extent, we know the quantity of fertilizer that we imported. Customs will never allow a single granule in excess, hmm. unless smuggled, right? Unless smuggled. So let's leave that component out, assume that everything come legally. So what is this talk about overuse? Overuse is most likely, depending on my experience after talking to people and so on, when a farmer gets fertilizer intended to be used in paddy, you are given it free of charge. You don't find in this country paddy farmers alone. There's yeah. nothing called a category called paddy farmers. I'm sure with your field experience, yeah. paddy farmer cultivate maize. Maize farmer cultivates paddy and paddy yeah. farmer will go and cultivate chili. I mean, likewise. Farmers know how to maximize their profits and time as well and the land resources available. So what the farmer does is that when you have free of charge, you may underdose the, the paddy. But you may go and apply at least a part to a vegetable cultivation which is not intended for. Yeah. So for vegetables, and they might do it in order to get a better yield exactly, from a product from exactly. produce that has a higher and, price. And, and then what happens is for vegetables is overused because the fertilizer that you got from the garment free of charge is not targeted at cultivating vegetables. It was a paddy. So paddy there's an underdosing for example. So overuse and underuse. What really happens is at a level, at the country level, there's no nothing called excess use. I think what, what I'm sort of understanding is that uh, all of these issues are very complex, very complex and it should not be oversimplified as no and drawing causal relationships based on very simplistic notions see with your experience and, and common sense you explained it much better than what I said <laughs> right no yeah. I mean that's the beauty of it right once you understand science once you once you understand the and once you know the facts clearly you see interpreting facts is is an art you have to be very careful 
if you know your scientific principles then you can explain facts if not you will be taking the whole society on a ride yes. professor before uh, before we wrap up there's just a couple of questions that i have for you one is how much because we this farmers that we spoke to there was varying amounts of uh, their harvest loss from the maha season i mean there's this one farmer in jaffna who told us that usually in his fields he takes about 20 sacks and this time he got two uh, because he had zero fertilizer inputs uh, even terrace paddy farms in the known walapani uh, and murede district uh, ampara district fed by galloyer so the major irrigation minor irrigation they're all suffering varying amounts of crop loss based on the data that's available to you what is the extent of losses that we're facing is it worse than 2016 17 for example yeah i think it look like it's worse than that because um, i mean before i tell this story we have to give the statistics i must tell you the mandated agency to release national level data is the department of census and statistics they have not released this data yet is that unusual no it's not unusual. it's not unusual. it's not unusual it but you have to wait usually it's yeah. at the it comes with the half yearly report because all harvesting has to be done data has to be assessed you see there are I'm, i'm sure there should be something some cleaning data mm. but that's natural because you know the variability is that can occur because is human error at the end sometimes right so we have to look at all those things so this is not unusual so by i'm sure by end of july end of june if he says end of september then of course it's unusual i must tell you right okay. so it, it has to come quickly earlier than that now the internal documents and i'm telling this with confidence i must tell you internal mm. documents categorically says categorically shows that the yield loss is to the tune paddy is to the tune of about 50% 50% that's in paddy but if you look at maize although we did not discuss it paddy yeah. is our main food crop maize is the main feed crop for animals yeah. you you I'm, i'm sure Life you must stock. be experiencing the the increased prices of egg every day chicken meat every day yeah. is because of maize maize is the main ingredient for animal feed you have to have that right and the maize yields maha season is the main cultivating season for maize and paddy and the maize yield losses is to the tune of about 70 to 75% loss loss So loss. I'm talking about no, 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 no. Thirty-five percent has let been me, lost. Let me make make myself very clear, right? Fifty percent loss, seventy to seventy-five percent loss. Let's keep it at seventy percent for the safe side. That's very scary. Very scary. Uh, Professor, the maize varieties that we grow, those are also engineered seeds. They, I mean, you see, when you, <coughs> you say engineered seed, you have to be very careful. That, mm. that gives different connotation also. If they are hybrids, hybrids, they are hybrids with hybrid vigor. There's something called hybrid vigor. I mean, you and me, yeah. we are hybrids of our parents. Exactly. So don't say hybrids are wrong or yeah. hybrids are not good. <laughs> Your hybrids are good. But have, but the point is that point. Yeah. Is, let, let me explain. Yeah. You can ask that yeah. question. The the uh, one thing in Sri Lanka, we don't grow paddy hybrids. There are no paddy hybrids in the field. For the history, we have produced only two hybrid varieties. one thing called lanka samurdhi that was in mid 1990s then at about 2007 2008 the department of agriculture released a hybrid variety called bg 407h h stands for hybrid okay right but it was not released uh, when you when you look at the costing marginal revenue marginal cost and so on it's not 
profitable enough. Of course, the yield is higher, but still our new high yielding varieties that we have bred through conventional breeding program have been producing quite an adequate yield. Remember I told you, it's mm. thanks to them only we were able to produce much more than we can conceive. Mm. So when we have such a good level of germplasm, the genetic makeup, we have continued to use that. But in the case of maize, the situation was different. The varieties that we had were giving very low yield. But of course they were they were stable, giving stable and low yield. And of course, here comes the, 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 the massive drive towards producing hybrid seeds to give more yield. More yield requires more input. Naturally remember the argument mm. that we had a little while ago with the yeah. explanation given. And and hybrid seeds were imported since late 1980s, but in the 20, early 21st century only, the farmers really got hold of it and started cultivating this and we are producing quite a good harvest, mind you. With the hybrids. With the hybrids. And because of that, even the Sri Lankan scientists started searching for this hybrid technology and we have already produced five maize hybrids in this country. But still, those have to be fine-tuned. I mean, you cannot produce a variety overnight. If you want, yeah. if you ask me to produce a rice variety, uh, though I'm not a breeder, a breeder, experienced breeder, and a team of scientists will take at least about eight years from today to, to release produce variety, that variety. To release a variety. Professor, that brings me to my actually final question because uh, I think we're running over time as well. These hybrid uh, yields, because I was looking up organic farming and because what one of the uh, sort of selling points that the government used to push this policy is we'll be able to export all of this organic produce and at a much higher price point but I think that please correct me if I'm wrong but the reality is if you're using hybrid seeds that will not be certified organic just because you take the fertilizer out yeah you're quite right yeah, I mean, organic farming is not new to Sri Lanka. That has been happening for centuries, for ages, I must tell you. And there are people who are doing good business with organic farming. And people earn a lot of money, a lot of foreign exchange. And that is a parallel line in this system. So don't undermine organic farming. Yeah. Let it happen. Let it prosper. If foreign exchange is going to come to Sri Lanka, as you quite correctly say, yeah. let it come. It has been coming over the years. But turning a whole country into organic, that's a different ballgame. An entirely different ball. Entirely different ball. Thank you very much, Professor. And thank you for clarifying this. It was a question that we asked, and even the farmers were surprised. It's like, if they want us to go organic, why have they not put in a mechanism to ensure that we get the organic seeds? Yeah. I mean, it's a kind of factual thing, scientifically yeah. valid argument. That's yeah. what farmers bring it to us as yeah. well, right? <laughs> uh, when, the, when the nutrient supply is low, a hybrid crop cannot survive. Mm. Hybrid crop seeds are costly mm. because this is a technology in volume, right? That costly seeds, if you get a lower yield and the, the return to investment is going for a six, yeah, that, that's where the problem. So farmers know that. Farmers they know it very well. Much farmers more. know that. Experts know that. The only people in Sri Lanka who at least did not know that were apparently the government and uh, certain experts. And, and some people pretended. That's some that's people pretend that's other problem, well, right? So there you have it. Uh, I told you we'd be having this question answered. Can you grow organic produce from hybrid seeds? And the answer is no. 
So there in itself, we've reached the conclusion yeah. that this government's organic drive was never going to be yeah. organic. When you, say, when you say no, let me also clarify one thing. See, if President comes and asks me today, can Sri Lanka go organic? Remember what I had the answer? I'm going to say yes. But my next question is what for? What for? And if you want to grow hybrid seeds with organic, you can. But what for? Because it's not going to be certified organic. It's not going to be certified organic plus. And then you will never get the yield that you expect out of hybrid. Thank you very much, Professor Marambe. It's been a pleasure. I must say the the effort in making the trip to Kandy to speak with you um, has really given us some very useful insights into this, as you mentioned, a very complex topic. And whenever whenever our listeners, uh, readers, uh, followers, uh, for Watchdog, always keep in mind whenever someone is trying to oversimplify or draw causal, simplistic causal relationships based on very simplistic hypotheses in a very complex field, always treat it with a pinch of salt. Thank you I'm very much. We'll see you. I'm going to borrow your words. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we'll see you on the next episode of The Doghouse. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, and TikTok at Team Watchdog. Uh, we've got uh, some new pieces out on our long form as well at longform.watchdog.team. The series that we had. Uh, uh, our field trips have conversations with farmers that will be coming out in the coming weeks as well so what's this space until next time goodbye and good luck